This is the Rock and Roll Autopsy Podcast. I'm going to zap her again. Charge up the paddles. Come on, let's go, let's go. Sorry, Doctor. Hold the compressions. Clear. Straight line. Good evening and welcome to Rock and Roll Autopsy. We are the Forensic Files on your radio dial. My name is Scott, and have we got a great show for you tonight? No, we don't. Damn it, the phone is ringing again. It's the request line. All right, let's pick it up. WRNRA, East of the Rockies. Hey, Breather, what's going on, man? You've been longing for the debauchery and sleaze of hair metal and its decadent heyday on the Sunset Strip? Oh, man, I hear you. Those were crazy days. What do you mean you've replaced debauchery and sleaze with the douchebaggery and cheese of our shitty podcast? Listen, you called the request line. Is there a song you'd like us to perform an autopsy on? Way Cool Junior by Rat? You got it. All right, buckle up, gang. The subject of our rock and roll autopsy tonight will be Way Cool Junior by glam metal pioneers, Rat. We'll get the show started after these very important messages from our sponsors. The new house is amazing. So much character. Original crown molding, walk-in closets. We do have a rat problem. At least GEICO makes bundling our home and car insurance easy. It does help us save. For bundling made easy, go to GEICO.com. Breaking news! What is this garbage you're watching? I want to watch the news. This is the news. All right, gang, we've got our intrepid rock and roll beat reporter on the line, Rico Gnu with the good news. Rico, what's going on, man? Uh, got nothing right now. Uh, hey, listen, we got we got a lot to talk about, so I just want to just dive right in. First of all, Tina Turner, Queen of Rock, uh, rest in peace, big loss, uh, but dude we're gonna be hitting that wave where like we've got a shitload of famous people that are gonna be dropping like fucking flies so like this could be one of many here in the next few years but let me ask you a really before we move on i don't want to spend too much time on this the most important tina turner question is the acid queen or anti-entity what was her best role Anti-entity well, from anti-entity from Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome or the acid or the acid queen from Tommy. Oh yeah, I forgot about Tommy. Um, and I forgot about the Mad Max name. Let's go with Mad Max, just because nice. of the sweet song. We don't need another hero. Hey, listen, this is Scott from the future. I overmodulated the mic on that song and i don't want to disrespect the legacy of tina turner so let me try it again we don't need another hero that's a good song dude like she really that was a really hugely popular song um moving along Queen is about to sell their entire catalog for $1 billion. I don't want to spend too much time on this either, but let's face it. Let's face it, Scott, and we both agree on this. Is a handful of songs and really just one huge song worth a billion? Is one song and a couple of other good ones worth a billion dollars? 
You know what came to mind for me when I when I read this this morning was I don't think any band has done a better job of kind of keeping their faces and legacy alive as long as Queen has because Queen Freddie Mercury died in what the early nineties? Mm, yeah. And their like heyday was in the 70s and i don't think anyone really likes their 80s records <laughs> and so no they're not good has anybody done more with less than these guys i mean there's a lot of diehard queen fans and and i get it um but i'm just saying that for a band that for all intents and purposes has been defunct now i know they toured with paul rogers and now they got adam lambert what have you but i mean actually as a creative entity not as a touring nostalgia act with someone replacing freddie mercury but i mean as a creative entity they have ceased to exist for decades and again a lot of people didn't even like their 80s output so what i'm trying to say here is i think they've done an amazing job of keeping the band front and center uh in in the uh cultural zeitgeist i'll use that word again they somehow i don't know whether it's wayne's world or bohemian rhapsody or the muppets i don't know but they have never gone away even though they've effectively been dead for a long time and if anything well, their value as evidenced by this proposal of a freaking billion dollars they're value has only increased in spite of the fact that they don't put out any new music I, I that's what i'm saying like the the entire breadth of their popular songs fit on that one cool ass greatest hits album that the greatest hits album with another one bites the dust and and uh killer queen and bohemian rhapsody that one that's their greatest hits album that is the entirety of their popular songs can fit on one cd and all, all the albums that okay seaside rendezvous is not on there and some other ones too but uh whatever dude i mean you know what good on them if they can get a billion dollars for a handful of songs they're better people than me and brian may apparently is a financial genius too and not just a you know a scientific genius like we are actually um moving along man gosh what do i go to first i got we got to do this john mellencamp thing man I, we got to do the john only because there's some cleveland there's some cleveland in this story so the story is just to recap to everybody john mellencamp did a show in cleveland recently and it was and the 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 rules that he set out for everybody was that he wanted to have theater etiquette at his show theater etiquette wait a minute time out theater etiquette at a show in cleveland for a rock and roll star i've been theater, to brown's theater. games cleveland uh, cleveland doesn't do theater etiquette well it, precisely first of all you're not going to get theater etiquette out of cleveland second of all and and i'm going to get to this but let me just set this up so that we can tear it down so he wanted theater etiquette. Clearly, we're Cleveland. He's not going to get theater etiquette, okay? So besides, he's a fucking rock and roll star. He's not Yo-Yo Ma, for God's sakes. So he didn't, get, he didn't get theater etiquette. He got really pissed and threatened to walk off the stage if people didn't shut the fuck up. So, Scott, I ask you this question. Should a rock and roll star in Cleveland be able to demand theater etiquette for a rock and roll show from a rock and roll star in cleveland go i mean how was it expressed to the audience did the audience know when they bought the ticket that they were supposed to sit on their asses in their seats with their pinkies extended on a glass of wine and not say a peep throughout the entire show was was this message was this intent were these rules expressed to the people who paid good money for the tickets did they know that going in the door well according to what i read in scene magazine um there was signage outside that said theater etiquette i don't know if that was expressly 
um, uh, uh, denotated in, in the ticket purchase. But according to Scene Magazine, there was signage outside that said theater etiquette. And at some point, John Mellencamp was on stage singing Pink Houses. And he looked out into the crowd and he saw people dressed as dogs wearing orange and brown and eating <laughs> Alpo. What's funny about what you just said is, okay, so if you're John, if you're... If you're John Mellencamp, God damn it. I want to say so much to say about this. If you're okay. If you're John Mellencamp and you were, you were in a, you wanted theater etiquette. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you demonstrate yourself? You would try to encourage the audience to give them what you wanted by giving, by kind of demonstrating yourself. No, the way to tell people you want theater etiquette is to be on stage in a in a blue jumpsuit like a blue like construction worker jumpsuit 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 smoking cigarettes on stage while you're while you're playing your music apparently that's the way to tell the audience that you want theater etiquette is by showing up in a blue collar jump like in a workman jumpsuit smoking cigarettes on stage and then bitching at people in the audience that that were thinking they're at a rock concert that they weren't sitting there with their hands up their asses not saying anything i and completely disagree with what he did let's be real i mean isn't mellencamp's audience primarily kind of like the people who you know drive pickup trucks you know yeah he's kind of like He's kind of like Bruce Springsteen. He's like the work. He's like a like the blue collar working man's rock and roll star, right? right? I totally agree with you. He's like like um like Jack and Diane, Little Pink House is like rural, like like Americana. He's like Americana rock. He's not fucking Martha's Vineyard rock. He's Americana rock, and Americana rock doesn't even know what theater etiquette is. You're he's way out of his genre, dude. Right? Well, he's kind of had a reputation for being a cantankerous old bastard anyway for a long time. God, does he put uh, does he put the boomer in rock and roll is dead, in my opinion? Holy Christ, man. Anyways, so let's talk about the yin, the yang of the yin. Okay, so if this side of the coin is this old bitterman, this old get off my lawn guy that helped kill rock and roll by making rural America give him theater etiquette, Steel Panther, Steel, God loves Steel Panther for what they're doing, man. Steel Panther was on America's Got Talent and they fucking lit the joint up, man. And I couldn't be happier about it couldn't be happier about it let's i as you know have never been the biggest hair metal fan okay i i appreciate it for what it is but i've never been but i love what these guys are doing because what they're doing is they're trying to put the fun back they're trying to put the entertainment and fun back into rock and roll right so they're going on america's got talent which i've noticed you know my daughters are like way into this show so i've had to watch <laughs> a few seasons of america's got talent in my time yeah. and to me america's got talent is only good in the early episodes when the bad acts when it's a mix of bad and good acts once they weed out all the bad acts and you get into like the you know the legitimate contenders i totally lose interest in the show i only want to see the train wrecks yeah because once we go down the road it gets too serious yeah, and you got to put up with all the little vignettes where they're trying to get Ugh. you to, you know, the the little Kleenex and tissues vignettes they do of everybody. They're always trying to pull heartstrings. But the yeah. thing I've noticed in recent years is that more and more legitimate, already established entertainers are going. I thought America's Got Talent was to discover new talent, amateurs who were trying to achieve a professional status. But in the last few years, I've noticed more and more people going on that show who already are working at a professional level. God loves Steel Panther, but they said it in the audition. They've got six full-length albums out on tour of the world. <laughs> so I got to ask myself, are they on here just as a goof? 
you know, or are they just trying to like raise their profile a little bit? Like, what's the point of this other than my answer is yes. Meaning what to both. <laughs> it's a goof or they're trying it's a to goof. raise their profile. Both. It's totally both. It's totally both. Here's the deal, man. Okay. They're like I said, they're trying to put the entertainment and fun back in rock and roll because let's face it, the nineties for a lot of reasons, but one main run, the nineties sucked the fun out of rock and roll. The nineties made rock too serious. And you want to know why Scott, I think I finally figured this out. Why the nineties made rock too serious, which which in turn made it not entertaining anymore for a lot to for, for a lot of people because coke is fun and heroin isn't heroin is too serious heroin is not fun coke is fun heroin is not fun so when the 90s rolled around coke went bye-bye and in came heroin and everybody got too serious and too introspective and too angry and so now rock isn't entertaining and fun anymore and so they're just trying to put the fun in the entertain maybe we also start doing coke again maybe then we can the only way to revive rock is to just start doing a bunch of blow again maybe so they went on and they played eyes of the panther eyes of the panther yeah and i'm looking at the lyric I'm looking at the lyrics. They tore it up. They absolutely yeah. tore it up on stage. It was a they great did. performance. She's Hit me looking, with some lyrics. She's looking good from head to toe. She's licking her paws. Yeah, she's ready to blow. <laughs> Got a teeth like razors and claws like knives. She's ready to pounce on your ass. You know you won't survive. She's got the <laughs> eyes of a panther. She's got lips like Satan. She's got the eyes of a panther, and soon you'll be a maiden. She's got the eyes of a panther. They rhyme Satan with a maiden. That's so fucking awesome, man. So the episode is actually airing tonight. So what we saw was a clip that AG yeah. put out for promo. So we did not get to see the result, of whether or not they got passed on the next round or not. So by the time this airs, people will know, but for we'll us, already know. We yeah. saw the performance. I certainly hope they, uh, <laughs> I certainly hope they make it to the next round, but even if they didn't mission accomplished in my book. So having said that, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk some rat. Stay tuned. Before you go, if you like heavy metal and stories, then you'll love Battle of the Bands, the narrative form metal podcast that unpacks the biggest rivalries in rock and metal history. Season 1 took in Megadeth versus Metallica, and Season 2 went across the divide to explore the beef between Judas Priest and Iron Maiden. It's like Business Wars, but metal. Find Battle of the Bands wherever you listen to your podcasts or visit battleofthebandspod.com. We are gathered here to remember rock and roll. Rock was born the rambunctious son of country, western, and blues. In the year of our Lord, 1955, on this day, the birth of rock and roll, gifted under the world a gyrating pelvis, a throbbing beat, and a pulsating rhythm, a sound so infectious and rollicking that it would endow previously scrupulous young minds with identity, individualism, and purpose, thus setting forth a multi-generational pursuit of all that is loud, debaucherous, and unholy. But, sadly, like all earthly endeavors, Rock too must perish. Oh, we mourn the loss of rock and roll with its ridiculously old standard bearers still on tour and charging ungodly amounts of mad jack to witness their long past the sell by date asses on stage and with its chauvinism misogyny and whiteness no longer aligning with modern sensibilities and with its aging, fist-shaking fan base, 
kicking every would-be rocker off their proverbial lawn. Rock has indeed passed into the celestial void. May Rock rest in peace in eternal cacophonous slumber. Amen. Thank you for that, Scott. You are listening to the Rock and Roll Autopsy Podcast. The Autopsy Report. All right, gang, welcome back. We've got Way Cool Jr. by Rat. That's right, Rat. 1988, December, this album was released, Reach for the Sky. Um, This song is coming in at a sweet 427, a little bit longer for back in the day. Still a cool song, though. Uh, labels Atlantic, the song, uh, the Stephen Piercy, Bo Hill, uh, Warren D. Martini wrote it, and then uh, Bo Hill uh, produced it. Uh, so there you go. Way Cool Jr. by Rat, Scott. Thank you, Rico, for your fine autopsy report. This is Rock and Roll Autopsy. You said it, man. Way Cool Jr. by Rat, formerly Mickey Rat. Didn't Wasn't Mickey Rat a better name? Uh, I kind of like Mickey Rat better, actually. Yeah, then they just went by Rat, ultimately. Yeah. It would have been cooler, I think. I think it would have been way cool to, to keep the Mickey Rat. Hey, now. <laughs> so the song is way cool, Junior. We got to find out, did it kill rock and roll? And to do so, we're going to use some science. Don't try this at home, kids. You can't do it. Parental supervision is required. Absolutely. You'll hurt yourself. We use five categories. They are gratuitous boomerism, excessive misogyny, wanton whiteness, malignant machismo, and culture vulturism. This episode is dedicated to our man, Mr. Stars 72 on Mastodon, who uh, put this song in our brain to get done. He wants to know if it killed rock and roll. Rico, the categories, gratuitous boomerism, the song, Way Cool Junior, the band, Rat. What say you, sir? This, uh, again, this this um, is, a, is a bunch of boomers. Uh, I'm, I feel pretty comfortable saying that. Uh, a band that started in 1975, I believe, is going to be boomers. Um, it's a it's a boomers style of rock and roll that the, the glam hair metal totally boomer written by boomers boomer 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 1.0 for boomerism yeah i mean this band is magically boomerific the youngest <laughs> person in the band is warren d martini born in 63 everyone yeah. else born in the 50s man Jesus. so these guys get off my lawn jesus christ they're old as dirt oh my um God. yeah and it's a super cool we'll get there a little bit we'll get, we'll get to of, that yeah we'll get there and kind of outlining the contours of what the song is about yeah. and what people think it's about but totally. it touches on a little bit of boomerism as well i'm gonna score it a full one for gratuitous boomerism rico yeah. category two excessive misogyny and i mm. have the lyrics available if you need them sir uh i do need them new kid in town got fancy clothes old t-bird car baby and you can tell your nose he said where is all the action in this town stop working on the women it's on real slick heard enough about sin girl gonna make it stick hey what makes him so special anyhow she said so good looking that's a fact steel guitars run across his back the girls all know he's way cool junior do you need more uh no i think i'm pretty good here um so i want to ask you about the nose line some people think that i, I don't feel this way and i'll get to that in a second some people feel like like this song is about a drug dealer because of the nose line um do you do I think that nose line is just kind of a throw in and maybe that particular line has a Coke reference to it, but it doesn't really fit in the context of the rest of the song. So I don't see this as a drug a song about a drug dealer as much as I personally think this song is about Elvis Presley. 
Um, do, what do you think about that? Okay. I never put together the drug thing until actually digging into the song a little bit. Do you have a score? Or are you going to? Oh, um, I'll get to my score in a second, but I just want you to, I want to hear you out first before I score. Fair enough. Um, I never put that together. When I heard the song, I didn't even put the Elvis thing together. So maybe I'm just totally like clueless, but so you know, I mean, I got some of the lines about Memphis and all, but it just seemed like a general kind of like rock and roll uh, thing. Could be. But then it, reading about it, I started to think, eh, I could see the drug stuff in there a little bit, you know, especially as it gets into the end where, you know, you can't have fire without the flame, can't keep the fortune without the pain. That's how he makes it when he's, when he's on his own, that little bit. And eh, so I perhaps can see that. I can see the Elvis side came from Memphis somewhere down South hanging with the blues crowd. It's how we got that crazy sound, but here's something else. When I watched the, uh, the Elvis movie, the, um, ah, what the fuck is the name of the director? Boz Lerman, Elvis yeah. movie. Yeah. I never knew this. And again, color me stupid. Maybe I am the naive kid, you know, but, <laughs> Did you know Elvis Presley had a nose job? Wow, I did not know that. I did watch the Elvis movie too. I did I didn't know that. I did not know that. Well, after watching the Elvis movie, I was found myself reading on Elvis and I thought I knew everything about Elvis. I grew up in an Elvis household. My dad is a big Elvis. Yeah, fan. you of I, all people, Jesus. I know I should know like rock and roll rhinoplasty, but if you look at pictures of him as a kid and then early 1950s to where he started to make a little money, mm -hmm. you'll see his nose changes quite a bit wow. and it, it never hit me, but I guess he always felt like his nose was kind of broad. And so huh. he, they like sculpted it and thinned it out a little bit. Interesting. So Interesting. maybe the line isn't about booger sugar. Maybe it's about his uh, Elvis's nose job. And maybe when he's asking, hey, where is all the action in this town? Maybe he's looking for a surgeon. <laughs> you know, it could be, right? Um, that is very possible because I did not, once again, that's really super interesting. He got a nose job. So mm, interesting. Well, and here's the thing is, and the dark Elvis, the evil Elvis is who? And Danzig. Oh, that is true. Who also we've speculated. You've spec you you've put you, rock and roll detective, have put two and two together and surmised that the in the front hairdo was to cover the schnoz. So he also got a allegedly, we're just speculating, nose job. And his right. hero Elvis got a nose job. And then Lisa Marie marries Michael Jackson, who had many who didn't have a nose after all the surgeries. <laughs> <laughs> How gutsy in the 1950s to get a nose job when your career is your voice. Really? That's, you know. Think about that. Would you and trust think, a plastic surgeon in the 1950s when your career is your voice? No. And the first person I thought of when you said that he got the nose job was Barbara Streisand, who had a big honker and who purposefully the subject has came up dozens and dozens of times over her career that she purposely did not get a nose job because she did not want it to affect her sound. Right. So it is it is pretty ballsy that Elvis got the nose job and that's man. in the 1950s when they were performing surgery with like leeches and chainsaws. I mean it's right. Like how primitive. I, I know. And who else and and Howard Stern who needed his voice for radio yeah. didn't get a nose job until like the last 10 or 15 years. Yeah, I didn't know he got a nose job, but I, he finally I, gave in and got it. He very it's subtle, but he got it done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, wow, man, super interesting. Anyway, so my score. So when I think about these lyrics, um, and misogyny, once again, this is a this is a demonstration of how. Uh, let me get a little sciency on you for a second. This isn't. This is um an, an yet another demonstration that during this time period when rock was alive and kicking where where the male owned 
how females felt sexually the, the males had ownership of that and and uh it's not like nowadays where like you have a song like what ass pussy for example where the ownership has completely transferred over to the female now and and now the female is in ownership of her own sexuality back then and this song is a perfect demonstration of of this which is why I'm going to score this. It's not super overt. I'm going to give it a 0.5, but this is another, yet another demonstration of sex, how women feel sexually is completely put in the hands of the man. And uh, I have to give a 0.5 for that, um, but I can't go a full one. So we'll go Props 0.5. to you. Very well put. Um, I liked your uh, your explanation there. Um, if I'll put it this way, if you see the music video for this, it's a full one and <laughs> the, the music video is just, it's just a veritable cornucopia of eighties hot chick goodness. And so any red blooded American male will love the video because they go for it in a big, big way. Um, I probably should have watched the video before I scored that, but it's cool though. I'm good. I'm going to stick into my score. But I don't think the video has a lot to do with the song. I think the video is just a performance video with good-looking girls, and that's that, right? Right. Um, For the song, uh, you know what? Your explanation is so good. It didn't occur to me, but I have to steal it and at least go a point five because it's so well put, and it didn't dawn on me because I'm a clueless dude, but you did such a great job <laughs> of like – Buffalo Bill, you did such a great job of crawling into the skin of a woman and seeing things from her perspective. So I've got to borrow it, man. Point five. Let's move on. Category three, Way Cool Junior by Mickey Rat. Wanton whiteness. Rico, how do you score? You know, uh, I, I uh, they're, they're white, so they get the obligatory point five. Um, and, and they are they're they're a straight up hair metal band glam hair band um that i've got to give them this is a full one dude you watch the video you watch any of their videos how they dressed how their songs sound although this one is a little bit different and we'll get to that maybe in the next category or two but i still have to give them this is such a cracker ass white band and a cracker ass what their catalog is so cracker snow white dude it's going to get a full one for me. I like how when back when we first started doing this podcast, you and I both tiptoed around the wanton whiteness category. We knew <laughs> what it meant and what we wanted it to be, but neither one of us lacked the balls to actually articulate it. And now on a weekly basis, you're busting out cracker ass cracker almost on a weekly basis. I'm, I'm a, I'm, I'm a, <laughs> I mean, hey, if the shoe fits, man, if the shoe fits. Yeah. Uh, so Watson whiteness. Yeah. Any Rico, any uh, hesitancy at that score because it's a blues. Were you at all? Is it or does that make it even more so because this this more so than your typical glam uh, hair metal song is actually a really kind of like in the guitar playing is fairly sophisticated, even though it, it li it's it's very much a blues. It even has a little ZZ top uh, drum thing at the beginning. Um. That's exactly it. I was hesitant. I was hesitant because, dude, the song's got the shuffle too. It's got the halftime shuffle, which which automatically is cool in my opinion. Any song with a shuffle or a song that swings, same thing, automatically is cool in my book. But does that, in your estimation, did that impact the wanton whiteness score? Is it is it white guys doing the blues, and therefore we're gonna like dock them? Yeah, because it, uh, it it does in this particular case because I haven't listened to the their their entire catalog or their other albums, but I've pretty I feel pretty safe that that surmising that this is probably the only song that they do that swings like this. And so if they if it was like a regular thing for them, then I might bump it down to a point five. But because this is really the only one, it's kind of an outlier. So it doesn't detract from the full one in my opinion i'm going to score it a full one as well but i'm going to give 
I'm going to give Robin Crosby and Warren Demartini a little bit of credit here for white boys who can pull this shit off because in the world of like, I'm not, I got to tell you, man, I, I never liked hair metal. Hair metal was always to me like poser music when I was a teenager, you know, exactly. so I never liked it, but man, as my, as I've gotten older, my perspective on it has softened considerably. And I really try, I pull a lot of the stuff on Spotify, I pull it up and I really try to listen to it and go back and kind of see, okay, here's the stuff I purposely avoided or hated on when I was younger. Let me see if there's anything here. And Rat is the one of the bands that there really are some cool things happening musically. And Robin Crosby and Warren D. Martini, if you listen the way they mix the records, if you put earbuds in and listen, you always have Warren in your right ear and Robin in your left. And they do as a as a dual guitar band, they do something that I think is really cool, and that is that they use a dual guitar setup the right way. They're not both playing the same thing at the same time. It's it's that Keith Richards, Ron Wood thing. Keith Richards called it that ancient form of weaving where they're both playing different parts that kind of make the whole. And mm -hmm. they do that. Warren's always in your right ear doing some cool, like textural kind of stabs. And then Robin's in your left ear doing like the rhythm stuff. And but doing it like in a kind of like they're playing off one another way. It really makes for a cool listening experience. I mean, the very first song on this record, what is it? City something. I can't remember the title, but you, you put it in your earbuds and you really hear that interplay. And I kind of always get annoyed when dual guitar bands just have two guitarists playing the same power chord rhythm the whole time. I'm like, why just have one guitar player then, you know, but they really do a great job at it. So it's that ancient form of weaving. They really can pull off this blues thing. They, they pull it off really, really well. Um, but I digress, not so much so to where I'm not going to give it a full one for once and white. Yeah. You know, and real quick before we move along, I did read, every every source that i was you know reading up on rat you know the common theme with this band is is their musicianship to your point um really good musicians and and, and again i agree i try to go back and listen to some of the stuff that i despised when i lived it when i was living in it um and there are some of like like rat for example there are some of these glam hair metal bands with some really good musicians in it and this particular band to your point has a couple of really good guitarists that really pull this this particular song off nicely so well done for them um let's move on yeah category four malignant machismo way cool junior rico how do you score um the song is not to, in my opinion i mean it's got kind of like because it's got the halftime shuffle it does in in uh because of the nature of the lyrics it does kind of have a little swag to it um and so i feel like i can't give a zero because it's got a little bit of swag going on there but it's not a full-on like it's not full-on like hetfield stance or jim morrison or anything like that um I think that swag that that this song pulls off nicely gives them a 0.5 in my opinion. Before we get too far away from it too, I did want to mention yeah, yeah. that Rico scoring that a 0.5 for malignant machismo and I'm going to score it a 0.5 as well for having a little bit of that swag. Robin Crosby, the rhythm slash lead player that I just mentioned, there are some people who theorize that this song is either about a drug dealer, about Elvis, or that the band actually wrote it about their second guitar player who was in the throes of heroin addiction and was seven feet tall and had chiseled good looks and dated Tawny Katane. And so that they actually wrote this song about him while he was in yep. the band and he was too fucked <laughs> <Yeah>. up to know. <laughs> That's true. I did see that. Did see that. I'm going to score at a 0.5 as well, Rico. I can see a little bit of that swagger and um, no further explanation there. Let's move on. Culture vulturism. Way cool, Junior. Rico, how do you score? This song, I mean, again, what I've, like I said, 
I have not listened to their entire catalog. I know the few of their famous songs, like like a lot of other people do, but this song, this song reminds me of something Aerosmith would play. This this feels like an Aerosmith song. I'm not. I I I don't know if maybe you saw something a little bit different. I couldn't really find a whole lot with regard to what inspired the the music the musical aspect of this song um maybe they were maybe they were inspired by aerosmith maybe they ripped off some aerosmith because it sure the fuck sounds like something aerosmith would do um i don't know dude this is way out of their wheelhouse and i feel like they got this from someplace i can't prove that but science i'm giving it a 0.5 I like the fact that you said Aerosmith. I think that's a really cool uh, and spot-on reference. I can hear that in here as well. People don't recognize how influential Aerosmith was in like the hair thing, even though Aerosmith clearly not a hair band, but all these guys were coming of age when Aerosmith was making their best records, you know? So Aerosmith was huge. And yeah, you could hear this kind of living in the same world as like same old song and dance, right? You could kind of yep. hear it being in that same space um good song by the way culture vulturism rat are one of the og bands on the scene they that were, is true they were early on the scene early with the look and the sound um steven piercy probably like you know not a great singer but he had that charisma he had the look the style the stage presence he had the, he had that la sleaze thing happening which was Mm -hmm. important in kind of defining the genre i think all the other hair bands that came after the fact were probably copying rat more than rat copying anyone else um rat were were kind of the ogs and then other bands had more success for whatever reason rat did never had the super duper uber success that some of their peers did but they they did they did pretty well in there all right it did all right, but they they are kind of thought of as being like the the kind of like template, but then other people took it and made more money off of it, if that makes sense. I'm going to give them a point five here. Um, I feel like I mean, I feel like they are OGs, but by the time we get to this song, I mean, we're at like what, 1988? I mean, we're far out. We're out of hair at this point. Hair metal is 84. 83 84 by 88 you're in the dirty hair metal now you're post guns and roses guns and roses comes on the scene and changes everything this song has a little bit of mr brownstone in it oh yeah yeah yeah. so so i'm gonna score him a 0.5 at this point this isn't like um trailblazing hair metal by 88 by rats no agree we'll tip the cap to their early um inventiveness and being leaders in the genre yeah, you know what you I, just to piggyback off of what you were saying about them. Um, they preceded when I think of when I think of Rat, like I was when I think of Rat, I think of them in terms of being a step below Motley Crue. But the funny part about it is they're they're like Motley Crue except better musicians, and it. But they preceded Motley Crue by like four or five years, really, and so what's uh, so it just made me wonder like what is it about motley crew that blew them up and rat just never really got to that point although everybody agrees that they were better musicians it was never about the musicianship motley crew i think maybe a little bit of the off field stuff was kind of what gave them that little extra bump so to speak I don't know. What do you do? You, do you ever think about that? How how sure. Motley Crue came after them, but then wound up bigger than them. Well, and it's maybe, funny, and maybe we're inspired by them a little bit. There's this reappraisal coming on now that these bands are so old, and many mm-hmm. of people have passed on, and the careers of you can kind of look at careers in totality and look at eras. So there's a lot of reappraisal happening. I'm doing it. I'm going back and listening to music that I just didn't listen to in the eighties just to see, okay, what was I missing? You know, just out of curiosity. So there's this reappraisal happening. And as people look back on rat, they see what you described. They see Motley Crue take off and rat 
respectable sales, respectable ticket sales, respectable presence on MTV, but they're largely remembered for round and round. And that's kind of it. You know what I mean? Whereas Motley has gone on to become super successful, right? And Rat, meanwhile, has broken off into at one point there were two rats touring and you know they've had all kinds of issues, right? So why Motley Crew? And you know, I think there was the off the field stuff, but I think Motley Crew's first record out of the gate was really, really strong. It's probably their best record. So they did that whole debut record is your best record thing, which is like Guns N' Roses did it. When bands do that, man, it's not like they're not like Rush, where they come out with a record that's not indicative at all of like who they're going to be down the road, right? It's just like purely a growth record, right? Yeah, right. Well, Motley came out, their first record's their best record. Some people think it's Shout, their second record, but without question, their first two records are their best, and then they never get close to it ever again. What, it's, it's, it's not Theater of Pain? No. And, oh, okay. And the other thing is, I mean, image. I mean, well... That's not fair because Rat had the image too. But honestly, what I'm just going to say it: they put a pentagram on their album cover on a second record, and that I think gave them like it, it was like a way of kind of throwing it down and saying we're the bad boys. You know, everyone else here are posers, and we're the real deal, right? So when your your second album cover, the original album cover for Shout of the Devil, was just a fucking pentagram. <laughs> basically saying we are devil's children right and, and now they're the, the forbidden off- fruit which makes them more attractive yeah and then in the off season between shout and theater vince kills a guy in a car so i mean not only do they put it on your record but they live it you know and it's like <laughs> you know what i'm saying i mean so it's like it's legit shit and i think at the end of the and then theater of pain for as bad as it was it did the one thing rat didn't do and maybe this is the answer to the question what was the most important thing any hair metal band needed in the 80s to break through huge the power ballad oh that theater true. of pain gave one. the world home sweet home uh, where yeah. is the rat power ballad they don't have one they don't have one they don't have one they have they have round and round they've got lay it down and they've got way cool junior they've got no power ballad that is so true man they don't have every rose has a maybe score. they don't have God. 18 in life they don't have home sweet home boy that's a great point because you know home sweet home as we discussed in a previous episode is the power ballad and perhaps if motley crew had not came out with that song perhaps they would have petered out just like a lot of other glam bands they might have because the rest of that album sucked and oh, so they had a record well, the, with nothing yeah it's awful i mean and dr feelgood is okay but they would have never made dr feelgood without home sweet home no right? they wouldn't have survived no they'd have never they'd have never gotten who was that bob rock that did dr feelgood yes sir right so they had never landed bob rock had home sweet home not shot them in the stratosphere anyway this is not a motley crew episode but yeah, that's a, um, I really wanted to get your opinion on that. Rico, we got to tally this fucker up, man. Let's do it. All, All right. right so what have you got? I've got three and a half points. Three and a half points. I've got 2.5. Well, that's some, a lot of crooked numbers there. So you got five, six, six points. Once again, they land exactly where they're supposed yeah. to be. Some, somewhere in the middle. They they weren't, you know, super earth-shattering, but they didn't kill rock either. They are right where they're supposed to be. Science fucking works, man. God damn it, man. We're good, dude. Like it I I we we surprise me sometimes at just how great this is. I've got a big nose. Should I just go ahead and get it done? Fuck no, dude, because if we're gonna if we're gonna bring if we're gonna bring the fun back into rock, you're gonna need that. You're gonna need that big schnoz for all the blow you're gonna need to do. That's true. You know. You know how I know I've got a big nose. When I drink coffee at work, my nose gets wet. Does it dip in? Do, do you like your your checking your oil in the coffee? Yeah. With your nose. Yeah. You know you have a big nose when you can't take a sip of your coffee without getting it on the tip. <laughs> 
<laughs> wow, man. Like, that's impressive, dude. That's, that's impressive, bad, man. Yeah, I did. You know what? I, did, I never thought your nose was that big, but it's pretty how big. are you drinking your coffee? Maybe you need to like amend the way that you are actually sipping the coffee out of the cup. Do you need a sippy or something? No, but I shouldn't be burning my nose when I'm drinking coffee. When, when the McDonald's cup says caution, contents hot, I think they mean you might burn your tongue. You shouldn't be burning my your nose. <laughs> Uh, holy shit man <laughs> that's so goddamn funny could you imagine uh, at least i didn't burn my dick i mean, mean how, i gotta amend the way i drink my coffee i'll stick my dick in it <laughs> you gotta go <laughs> boy if you could suck up coffee through your pee hole that would be i, I would pay you money to do that in front of me actually <laughs> sure you can you stick it in then you like stick your thumb in your mouth and you suck then it works I would have to try that. I'll be at work on Monday. Somebody walks into my <laughs> office. I got my dick and my coffee. I'm like, what? This is a new way to drink my coffee. <laughs> I'm sucking the coffee up through my dick. It's a new way to do it. It keeps me from burning my nose. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. All right, gang. Thank you for listening to a rock and roll autopsy. We'll see you next week. Good night. <laughs>